welcome back to the Capercast, a podcast where we discuss all kinds of cinematic heists and, of course, capers. It is episode 12. We have been doing this for a little while now. And uh, in case you're wondering who we is, are, <laughs> uh, I am Stephanie Cook, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, Whitney Gardner. Whitney. Hello, hello. It's been so long. For for the listeners, it's been a perfectly normal amount of time for us. Yes. It's been ages since we've talked about heists together. I know, and I've really missed it. Me too. And today we're talking about a really, really fun one. Uh, although I, we actually didn't even text each other to tell each other that we'd watched this. I this know. Like I didn't know time. when you watched it. I didn't know. Like uh, We were radio silent this time. Like the only time we've managed to do this somehow. <laughs> uh, but we're watching, well, we're talking about, we watched already, uh, mm-hmm. Logan Lucky. So I'm I'm stoked. This is my second time watching it, but this was the first for you, right? Yes, I had no idea. And I was like thrilled as I was watching it that I had no idea what to expect oh. going in. All I knew was that Adam Driver was in it and that Channing Tatum was in it. And so part of me thought this could go either way. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. And I was so delightfully surprised. I think this might be my favorite one that we've watched (gasps) so far. Wow. That's like real big acclaim. I don't know. I just, I had such a good time watching it. And for me, it was like ticking off all the things that I like about heists. And it just felt like such a classic heist movie to me that as I was watching, I'm like, yeah, this is it. This is what it's about. This is what all of these movies, like, this is what we want to be talking about. I was very happily surprised watching this movie. I agree. This definitely. Obviously, we don't want to just spill all of our thoughts and feelings on this right away, but (laughs) I think I liked this more upon my second watch, and I had so much fun, especially in the context of us going through this, you know, wide array of films, and it just really ticked a lot of the literal boxes in which we have, you know, our trope list, but then just like personal things that I really enjoy in these films, too, and I had so much fun. The cast is great. The story is great. Everything about it is just an absolute delight. And it's funny because a few episodes ago, you and I talked about Letterboxd and how I was like kind of keeping track of the movies we do. And we were talking about doing a best of the first half of the caper caper cast. And I'm really looking forward to having that discussion with you soon too and kind of see where we fall with all of these movies we've watched so far. I thought about the the letterbox thing and our our first half of the year wrap up that we're thinking about doing soon as I was watching this movie. And like I feel like as the movie went on, this movie just like climbed in the rankings as I was watching like, oh, oh, it's getting better. Like yeah, I really liked it. I had a lot of fun and I don't know. I, I, I'm excited to jump in and discuss with you. Yeah. Well, okay. Would you like to tell? Yes, I have. I have a a little summary here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when Jimmy Logan, Channing Tatum 
gets fired from his construction job where he is repairing some sinkholes underneath the Charlotte Motor Speedway. He convinces his vet brother Clyde and his hairstylist sister Melly to help him rob the speedway during a NASCAR race. Jimmy plans to rob the speedway by exploiting his knowledge of the underground pneumatic tube system that the stadium uses to move vast amounts of cash. They recruit incarcerated safe cracker Joe Bang and his dim-witted brothers Sam and Fish. And all they have to do is break Joe out, blow the racetrack vault, get away with the cash, return Joe back to prison, and get Jimmy to his daughter's beauty pageant on time. All in one day. Is that all? (laughs) That's it. That's all. (laughs) It's such a fun premise. And I don't know, like Adam, people love Adam Driver. They love him. And I, I see it. I get it. I love him too. I'm not sure if I'm like firmly in that, like I stand him and like, you know, everything, but sure. I really do appreciate him in this movie and he does a great job in the role they all do. But I, again, I'm kind of just jumping ahead. I'm just really excited to talk about this movie. It's I am too. Such a I, was very surprised i i'm just pulling up i'm trying to pull up the picture of the i took a picture of the list on the refrigerator (laughs) and i just remembered that i took it but now i can't find it anyway i was um a little disappointed by channing tatum's goatee (laughs) Yeah, yeah, although yeah. like right off the bat, this is what my initial thought was like, oh, here we are. There's Shannon Tatum. Why does he have this goatee? And I see now it's to sort of make him look like Adam Driver the best way they can. I don't know. I guess. And it's like if you want to kind of like maybe, I guess, ugly up like an actor a bit like it's like, oh, a goatee. Yes. Yes. Right? <laughs> I, 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 I thought it was unfortunate, just like the rocks was unfortunate. I'm like, oh, are we going to have to add bad goatee to our truck? <laughs> Yeah, maybe bad facial hair, but that kind of like goes in like disguises or something. But this is like not True. a disguise. This Definitely is like not a disguise. It's a Channing Tatum disguise. So we believe he is Jimmy Logan. Right. Um, oh, wait, I guess I should also say if by any chance you are a first time listener, keep in mind that we're talking about the heist components of these movies, which usually involve spoilers. So again, yes. this is not going to be a spoiler free discussion. I think it's kind of an unspoken rule at this point, but just in case you're tuning in for the very first time, this does have spoilers. So if you don't want to know what happens in Logan Lucky, you should tune into this after you watch it. And you should watch it because it is very, very fun. So Yes. And there are lots of twists and turns. This is done by, we just said who it was by, Steven Soderbergh. Soderbergh. Who clearly likes working with Channing Tatum because he's done Magic Mike. He's done a few other things with these actors before too. So you could tell that he maybe just had a story in mind that he wanted to use these people for. Mm -hmm. And um, I really want to know what the thought process was for kind of putting this whole team together of actors into these roles and just, oh, it it's, seems like he's a director who like really enjoys working with people multiple times over yeah. and over again. And there's even like a lot of like small cameo roles in this film too, or like 
Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, Hillary Swank is in this movie and she has right. maybe two minutes of like film time. Like she's barely in this. I was shocked when she showed up. I'm like, why are we introducing Hillary Swank an hour and 30 minutes into this movie? Right. What? And Sebastian Stan has like two <laughs> lines. Like, <laughs> mind you, he was kind of, I think, on the cusp of becoming like a big no because he'd already been Bucky at this point in time in like the Winter Soldier and stuff so again just those like using these big actors in these small roles kind of just like throws you off sometimes I think that he did Ocean's Eleven also and there's another movie that has just like every actor known to mankind is thrown in there so I think he just wants to populate his movies or actors want to be in his movie and they don't care that they're only going to be on screen for so long. And we actually didn't even think about this, but Oceans is our next set of movies. I did, yes. As I was scouring some fun facts, I'm like, oh, this will be good to lead into our next movie because we're about to watch his version of Oceans and hopefully the original Oceans together and we can compare them. So that's a little heads up. This is our first like back-to-back like comparison Mm -hmm. Uh, double feature that we're going to do. And I'm really excited for that too. I'm excited for all of our shows, to be honest. I know, like this is I know. It's such a, a great blast. Time. <laughs> One thing I did not enjoy, and he shows up rather early. Uh, I guess Jimmy Logan gets fired. He goes to his brother's bar or the bar where his brother works called Duct Tape. And he <laughs> goes to talk to his brother and possibly hatch a plan with him and Seth MacFarlane shows up with like the worst British accent I've ever heard in my life, <laughs> which doesn't make sense because I know he can do it. Like his characters and cartoons have accents like this guy that Seth MacFarlane plays is just ridiculous and horrible. And I think the movie would be better if he wasn't in it. Like he's the only thing that took me out of the movie. I was so excited. And then every time he showed up on screen, I was just like, oh, and I know you're supposed to hate him, but still. (laughs) He is again, like Hillary and Sebastian in it really, really minimally. Like he's one of those, he, his air quotes cameo is a little bit more extensive and he definitely has more of a role to play within what's kind of going on here. But thankfully he's not in it for very long. It's really focused on the Logan family and the people that they've brought on to do this job, which Mm -hmm. is a blast. Like I love tying in what could you do in the South and what could yes. be a perfect heist for that setting? And it's like NASCAR, of course. I was very excited about that. I had no idea about the the NASCAR angle. And just like Army of the Dead, they just like made it so fun. Let's do a heist in Vegas with zombies. This is just like, we're going to do a heist in the South at NASCAR. Like, of course, of course, it makes perfect sense. And I was in. I, I loved it. It was so fun to have a heist. That's not necessarily a bank heist. Right. The thing that I really appreciate about this movie too is we've watched a few that have been pretty slow burns in terms of, you know, we're into the movie for like 45 minutes before a heist actually starts getting planned or happens. Mm -hmm. And this really kicks off almost immediately. Uh, Channing Tatum loses his job right away. And 
there's no, oh, I'm going to like fall down into this pit of despair and it's going to be my last resort. Like he knows exactly what he wants to do as his next move. He knows and enacts his plan like right away. Like in my mind, it's like, he was waiting for this day. He's like, well, right. It's going to happen. Like I've had this in my back pocket. That he has been planning this before he was even fired because this plan, while you might not know it up front, is more sophisticated than I would have ever thought. Right. And so, and the fact that they get into it right away makes me think that, oh, he's been thinking this over for probably as long as he's been hired at this place. I don't know how long he's been working under the speedway, but long enough for him to be daydreaming, I guess. Yeah. And there's just like these small little things throughout the movie where they work in this amazing characterization of each of the Logans, especially where Mm -hmm. you don't really get a whole lot of backstory for all of them, except for is Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy is Channing. Yes. So you, you really only know, his situation in a bigger sense. And the rest is like Melly and um, Clyde is like minimally, but Mm -hmm. they work in these like really small tidbits to give you who they are. You know, like Melly's picking up her niece and trying to get her to an event. And she always does what she says she's going to do, but Mm -hmm. she's going to do it like her way. And she gets like pulled over and right. You know, I, I love that there's these like small little things where we don't see them happening. So the movie doesn't go on for like three hours, but you have this exposition that feels really natural and flows really well with the story that tells you what they're about without going into too much detail. Right. And then they go over the whole Logan Lucky refers to this curse that they say has been put on their family that just when everything is going good is when like everything ends up going to shit for them. Like they say Channing Tatum, he was about to go, I think off on some big football scholarship. There was going to be this big game. And then he like tears his ankle. I don't know the exact injury he gets, but he gets injured. Now he's limping and he can't. Career altering, changing, destroying injury. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And obviously Clyde has one arm and he lost it in the war. I believe he's a veteran in Iraq. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I really just like that. Like these things aren't a big deal. They're just, this is who they are now. Yeah. And they give you enough context to know what's happened, but we don't need it to kind of tell this particular story. And so it just moves us forward. And Right. You can kind of get the feeling of who these people are, what their relationship is in regards to each other, how they care for and about each other, what kind of family they are without having Jimmy have to say, and this is my, like the voiceover, and this is Clyde. He lost his arm in Iraq and what a poor son of a bitch or whatever. Oh, excuse me. Son of a bee. Um <laughs> Uh, like it's all just sort of there for you to take in yourself 
Yeah. And I mean, I do appreciate a fun, campy, this is this guy. Let's do yeah. a little bit of exposition. <laughs> like, I love me a montage so much, but I also really appreciated how this was done. And the story here is strictly on the heist, pretty much. And like a little bit of like Jimmy's life surrounding mm-hmm. it, but mostly the heist. And again, we get right into this, and the entire movie is pretty much the heist. Yes, I I think it's because we have multiple heists or multiple um, sort of plans that they have to set off sort of like dominoes in order Mm -hmm. for the giant, the big heist to go right. We have a prison break. We have all this retcon that they have to do. Two prison Uh, breaks realistically. Oh, that's true. A prison break in and a prison break out or prison break out and then a prison break in. Um, Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in that case, technically, so they have two prison breaks. They have two people they have to get in and out of prison, mm-hmm. but then they had to get Clyde into prison in the first place. And like, oh, see, like there's like, the plan is just so complicated that there's no time to waste on anything else. They do a little setup. Jimmy has a daughter. She's adorable. She's a pageant queen, a little pageant toddler and tiara type Southern bell girl. She obviously loves her dad he is divorced from his wife who is katie holmes and i guess heard forever i know it was nice to see her pop up again um and i guess she's saying that they're moving and he doesn't want them to move or he needs money to be able to commute to see her all of this is like money he needs so that he can continue to be a good dad Mm -hmm. and it's like that's all we need to know okay we're off we're good (laughs) We're on his side. He obviously needs the money for this adorable little daughter of his. Okay, fine. Steal the money. We love it. It's so good. And I love that relationship too. There's like a lot of tropes that they put in, but then manage to avoid, you know, like him and his wife don't necessarily get along, but she knows that their kiddo loves her dad and so she Mm -hmm. makes it work with him despite kind of their differences and it's just so sweet this kid like clearly is girly but then also can help put a car back together like she knows her way around like her dad's like tool set and I don't know there's just like all of these small things that I think made this movie for me really special in kind of building the stakes in a really subtle way. Sure. He doesn't want to mess this up so that he's in prison during his daughter's like formative years. Right. And uh, I just, again, this second watch, I've appreciated this movie (laughs) so much more than I did upon my first watch. And I mean, of course you're also rooting for Clyde. You want him to do well you see that he's like struggling a little bit of a conspiracy theorist like since he got back from the war and then you were also rooting for melly who katie holmes's husband like keeps putting her down and putting her car down and saying that she can't drive and so you're just like oh i hope she gets hers too so you're really team logan going straight into this heist right and she kind of doesn't ever say more than she has to melly like Mm-hmm. She's this hairstylist, which again, I feel like normally comes with a lot of like stereotypes in how those women tend to be portrayed. And yeah. she doesn't kind of give anyone anything, you know, like 
unless they're having a conversation with her. And like, you know, you see that with Katie Holmes's husband and all that stuff where he's egging her on. And then, Mm -hmm. and then she'll like step out of her, you know, shell a little bit and kind of confront you and give you more of who she is. And each one of them had such a distinct personality and it really made it special. And then you have like Daniel Craig coming into this. Oh my goodness. He was so fun. He was so fun. And I just, I knew like what he to expect with him. But again, it had been a while since I'd seen this movie and he was so great here. And I feel like flawless. I never want to see Daniel Craig in a serious role ever again. (laughs) After Knives Out, after this, I'm just like, just let the man do comedies and forget James Bond. Forget all of it. I'm over it. He's so like, I feel like he's so much sparklier and I don't know. I'm just way into him being funny. I'm don't get me wrong. Like I love James Bond, but (laughs) these are so such fun rules. And I think there's, we've talked about this a little bit before too, where you can tell an actor is enjoying themselves. Like they're Mm. really embracing the role. They're having fun with it. And to me, this felt like something that not just Daniel Craig, but like everyone was enjoying being a part of it seemed. Uh, And I, there's the, one of the first scenes with him where he's talking about how could you imagine someone coming up with fake salt? Like this whole (laughs) like heist is being planned. They're trying to like break him out of prison and he's like, but fake salt. Right. Uh, His name, he plays the character Joe bang. He is our demolitions expert of this movie. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated seeing a demolitions expert that wasn't just like, here's the bomb I've created, bang, bang. Like he seems to be like the safe cracker in, in that his demolitions have a lot of finesse to them. And he mm-hmm. has thought through these things and he understands the science of it all. And I just really appreciated seeing that for his role in the heist right and like we don't call it a bomb we don't use the b word b (laughs) it's oh i'm sorry it's an explosives device like Mm -hmm. i i loved that he's like well i can't bring this in with me so like what can i use that i can acquire within the nascar grounds and there's such a fun component of changing it up in this film that you don't really see anywhere else it's like oh yeah we're just gonna bring dynamite oh yeah we're just gonna bring like this or whatever right like she is our weapons expert which is why we all have all these guns but we don't say where they came from or we don't say where the practice safe that we bought on amazon came from (laughs) right (laughs) but i just like i think it's fun to kind of play around with this is like literally like the ingredients, so to speak, and kind of mm-hmm. like change things up and give, I mean, obviously the heist itself is a huge challenge, but give them new and interesting kind of ways to tackle these heists in for the viewer. Cause like for us, obviously we're going through this huge list of movies and it's like, how many times yeah. are we going to see the same 
things over and over again. And this really broke a lot of the molds and was just a delight. Yes, it's nice after 12 heist movies and then some heist documentaries on the side uh, that they could still spring one on you and surprise you. Right. At some point, I wonder if that's going to stop happening, but I'm very excited that it hasn't yet. No, I mean, we've had a pretty varied list of movies we've watched so far, and Mm -hmm. each one of them has its own interesting thing kind of going on. And I don't know, I'm really just excited to kind of keep going. And I'm especially excited to kind of explore some of the ones we both have never heard of or kind of like seen before so uh speaking of daniel craig quickly though before we go away from this accent we had somebody send us a quick question and uh anthony said which is the better daniel craig accent this as in logan lucky or knives out oh man i think the knives out one is funnier because it comes out of nowhere knives out is not set in the south you don't expect it to come out of daniel craig's mouth but i do think the one in logan lucky is probably better performed it's not so obvious that it's fake the knives out one is like deliberately campy you Mm -hmm. know like they're really hamming it up and he's again clearly or seemingly having fun with that role uh, so I think they're kind of apples to oranges, so to speak. One is yeah. obviously meant to be a little bit more silly, and this is meant to be a fun heist movie, but at the same time, a little bit more on the serious side. So, Right. He's got to fit in with everybody in the world of Logan Lucky, West Virginia. Yeah. I think personally, though, I mean, I enjoy the Knives Out thing, but again, they're different. They're different. Yes, so. they're different. I do. I do enjoy the Knives Out one quite a bit. Oh, this is such a fun. I, I love the the kind of different array of Southern accents we get in here, too, with his, <laughs> yeah. his, his brothers. It's, it's his brothers, right? His are, brothers. Yeah. Uh, and then they're so good, too. And the whole we don't tell them more. Right. So basically, uh, Joe Bang decides that he wants to bring his brothers in on the heist as well. And this sets off Clyde. He's like, no way. They're horrible. They're going to ruin everything. But I think um, Jimmy understands that, you know, to pull off a huge heist like this, you're going to need a bigger team of people and tells him they only need to know what we're going to tell them. And uh, that line ends up being a huge line in this movie that he just like throws away and you almost forget he ever said it. Right. It's so good. And these two, I love the flavor that they're given as a characters. They're just like these criminal delinquents. And they're like, now we have moral, we have morals. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, We don't want to, what does he say? Like, you're making us rob NASCAR and that's basically like robbing America. Right. So I guess the idea was their names are Sam and fish and they convinced them to participate in the heist because the 
original plan was that it was for a race that a local grocery store chain or something was sponsoring. And they had like a beef with the grocery store owner. And they're like, well, that guy stinks. So we're just, you know, taking, taking from the bad and giving to the good. And so they get on board and then plans change because they're going to board up the tunnels that they were going to use to enter the speedway. And they have to move up the heist. And now they are robbing the Coca-Cola. What is it? 600. Yeah, I have no idea what it was actually. I just remember it was like a Coca-Cola race. And they're like, it's the biggest, one of the biggest races. And Mm -hmm. they didn't anticipate that it was going to be this level. uh, And because of circumstances, they need it to be this one. Uh, So... Yeah, they don't want any part of this. Or they're begrudgingly a part of this. Yes, yes. So, yeah, it's a whole... And is it... um, What's his name? Quaid. Dennis, Dennis Quaid's son? Randy Quaid? Is oh, that, is it? Because I think that's the guy from um, The Boys, right? One of the brothers. Oh, see, I don't... I haven't seen The Boys. Oh. Uh, Oh, I'm pretty sure, like, wait, I'm getting it mixed up. <laughs> There's too many Quades. You keep casting the same people in all of your movies also. I know. And I'm trying to figure out, oh my gosh, I said Dennis and uh, what's his name? Quaid. But I'm thinking of Dennis Quaid and his child, Jack Quaid, who was in The Boys for sure. Um, and then I'm like looking <laughs> at his IMDb here, but I'm like, yeah, it was him. He plays fish. Uh, okay. So he's Dennis Quaid's son. Oh yeah. So he's like the main character in the boys. Uh, but I don't think I'd, the boys had come out the first time I'd watched this. So I didn't really realize that's who that was until now. <laughs> so. Well, they also, you know, he's got long hair. He's covered in tattoos. Okay. Like, he's got a mullet, him. Whitney. He's got a <laughs> mullet. <laughs> like, okay. Long hair, mullet, you know, one. well, I mean, if we're, we're talking about a Southern movie, Whitney, we yes. got to call the hair what it is. Okay. <laughs> this specific instance. <laughs> this picture of the two of them popped up on my thing. He's wearing a cowboy hat. So I didn't quite realize the mullet in this photo. Um, I'm just Just saying I could see why you might not recognize him immediately. Right, 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 right. And I don't think he's really been realistically in that much stuff. Like for me, again, the boys was the thing that made him a recognizable face to me. And now again, because of that, I'm like, oh, I see who you are now. So he's really fun in this. And yeah, they're just, ugh. So good. Um, <laughs> do we want to get into like the heist a bit, or well, what I think we're like to we're do? gonna have to we're gonna have to get into the heist because so much of this movie is the heist, and I want to talk about Melly's stroke of genius with the bugs. Oh, so good. Okay, so why don't we take a quick break, and when we come back, we will get into the heist. Do you like alcohol beverages like beer? How about exotic import selection like Heineken and Corona? 
come out to duct tape for a little southern hospitable tality. Come for the beverages and stay for the good times. Duct tape, like the kind of tape, but that's actually just the name of the bar. Open seven days a week till we're closed. And we are back after a brief little commercial break. And uh, <laughs> we are going to talk about the heist. Oh my gosh. All the which elements like, of this heist. So much of this movie, which again, we've talked about. And like, this just has so many mwah, like chef's kiss elements here that are just an absolute blast. What, how do we want to tackle this, Whitney? Do we want to trope list it? We wanted to have a general discussion about it first. Like, how do we want to do this? I don't know. Let's uh, let's just chat, and then we'll get to the trope list when, I don't know, when we feel like it's time. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, yeah. What a fun so, movie. I'm just yeah. loving... <laughs> The whole idea of just like robbing NASCAR. Like, is there any other movie that's like, we're going to rob this like big American event? I guess like they all kind of have their own version of yeah. that where mm-hmm. it's like, it's a big deal to somebody, right? Yes. Uh, so I just think it's like so much fun here to kind of imagine just how much money goes into NASCAR and if you can control elements like whether you're paying via cash or debit, um, <laughs> you know, it can really change. Right. And a lot of the heists that we have encountered happen, you know, on the off hours, not while like thousands upon thousands of people are there. Right. Um, this is a very brazen heist. Yes, yeah, not broad a, daylight. The, the museum is closed. The bank is closed. I I have the list here. Top 10 rules for robbing a bank that is on the refrigerator in oh. Jimmy Logan's house. It says top 10 rules for robbing a bank. One, decide to rob a bank. <laughs> Two, have a plan. Three, have a backup plan. Four, establish clear communications. Five. Choose your partners carefully. Six, expect the unexpected. Seven, bleep happens. Yep. Eight, don't get greedy. Nine, remember, bleep happens. And 10, hang up and know when to walk away. I love that. I know. It's like he knows going in. Yeah. And it's like such a smart list. And like, obviously, again, speaking of stereotypes, when you think of like hillbillies and kind of just the character that Channing Tatum is playing, again, there are a lot of stereotypes that go along there. And like one of the biggest ones is that they're not very bright. And, you know, they're just kind of like meatheads, especially when you tie in the fact that he was like a jock and like his whole thing was football. So it's like, oh, well, he probably didn't pay attention much in school or whatever. And I think all of those things feed into exactly what he wants people to think of him, you know, like he knows that the people who matter to him know who he is and then the rest of it serves him. So he lets it kind of just... He lets them underestimate him. 
Exactly. And I think that like even to a degree with the majority of the movie, you also as a viewer underestimate him because you're like, how could this possibly be this elaborate heist? Like, sure, we've got like these certain elements going on, but you're like, is this all going to go like bananas? Like, is it going to just go off the rails? Like, what is going to happen here? How is this going to be this satisfying? How is this going to come together? You know? Right. In my mind, as I was watching it, I was I was thinking about Fast Five a lot because not that he has all these weapons uh, or anything like that at all. It just feels like uh, a group of people you don't necessarily assume are sophisticated Mm -hmm. trying to pull off a heist. So I thought that his plan was going to be a lot more brute force, kind of like it was in Fast and Furious, where, you know, they strap a thing and they just go for it down the street like. The only thing is we just got to be faster than them, right? Mm -hmm. But his plan ends up being extremely sophisticated. Yeah, it's so, so good. Actually, you brought up like kind of something with like the no guns are used here that we actually got another comment that really kind of sums up like a lot of this nicely and kind of gives us, I think, some great fodder to kind of talk about here. But Ryan left us a comment today to tell us we asked on the Twitters for your input. And it's so much more fun when we get to do this with all of you. And uh, Ryan sent us a really well thought out little analysis of the film and said, first things first, you cannot talk about Logan Lucky without talking about uh, Soderbergh's other heist movies, namely the Ocean Trilogy, which as we mentioned, we're we're going to do it. We will. We will. (laughs) Uh, So we'll come back to this part, but he is undoubtedly the master of what I call the sexy heist in which no guns are used, just charm. And then he goes Mm -hmm. on to say, because we're all sending these messages on Twitter, so they're broken down (laughs) a bit here. Uh, What makes Logan so interesting is there's, there is virtually no charm. There's no fast talking, well-dressed, sexy guy, which was like, uh, um, Tyrese in Fast Five. Uh, and then again, there's no fast talking, smoothing their way past guards or anything. None of the heroes use guns to get anything they want. It's just a straight up heist. The entire cast is charismatic driver, especially so, but they all toss it to the wayside in the simplest of ways. Tatum's delivery of they'll know what we want them to know. Craig's accent work (laughs) driver behind the bar. They all own it. But undoubtedly, the best joke in the entire film isn't even in the movie. It was in the trailer. As they announce the cast, they say, and introducing, and you think to yourself, oh, this is going to be a new actor we've never seen before, Daniel Craig. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of uh, shenanigans, I think, that happened in the behind the scenes of this movie that we'll get to, at least one big shenanigan. Um, So... Back to the heist. The idea is they're going to steal the cash from the raceway that the concessions make. And basically, the concessions go through so much cash that in this universe, I'm not sure that this is something that happens in real life, but in this universe, they empty the register into these uh, pneumatic tubes, which ferry the money away to a vault in the raceway and inside the raceway they're saying it's so big in there you have restaurants you have 
all like all manner of things to do while you spend your day uh, at the racetrack that I guess there's like a little mini bank in there that that they take care yeah. of this vault that's within the raceway itself. Yeah, it's like a whole system kind of happening underneath it all. And I mean, it makes sort of sense because like, you imagine the amount of money that would be really passed around in a place like that and having some sort of way to make sure that it doesn't get stolen by other criminals. I don't know. Like, seems like a logical thing to do. Obviously, this is a very extensive plan here that has a bajillion different moving parts to it. But yeah, it's got to protect that money. You got to have some vaults. You got to have, at least it made more sense to me than the booby traps in like uh, Army of the Dead, like the vault with all of the booby traps. (laughs) This is a lot more believable as a system than there's a booby trap of two walls that come and smush you into goo if you try and go into the vault. Like that's nothing. That's not, no place has that. So what they do is, I guess the first part of their plan is they order a cake and they send the cake to the bank, I guess, and they address it to some, the bank within the raceway, and they address it to somebody who works there. And they all like decide to like go into the vault and have the cake together. Of course they do. Of course. Why not? And I guess somehow, I don't remember how they got the bugs in. Do you? Yes, maybe they were how- in the cake somehow. I don't know. No, I don't think they were in the cake. I feel like, oh gosh, I, I think it had to do with Melly. I think somehow she has painted the backs of cockroaches with nail polish and she has gotten them into this room with the cake. So the next day when they open up the vault, they see that the cake has been infested with bugs and they need to call an exterminator. and. The exterminators end up being Sam and Fish, (laughs) the Bang Brothers, I guess. (laughs) And I guess the idea is they send the bugs. Which is it? Oh, my gosh. I'm getting all turned around now. Whichever color bug went through the tube, they reported back and they would know which one went to the vault. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember the specifics of which color it was, Mm -hmm. but like they had this whole ingenious thing with the vault, the tubes, the bugs. And Mm -hmm. again, each person had this like really specific job, (laughs) right? You know, again, coming back to like Daniel Craig and jumping ahead slightly, it's like his demolitions isn't kind of your conventional demolitions and neither was Melly's approach to figuring out how this all worked. It's like she's trained cockroaches in a way, like to kind of just help figure this out. And that's just so intricate and interesting. And I'm sure it's been sampled from another movie somewhere. They've done it before. Nothing's original anymore. But seeing all these elements at the same time, come together in this film was just again so special and so fun and made this a really memorable movie and heist 
I'm looking it up I'm because I, I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> I went to look up whether there was actually like pneumatic tubes underneath uh-huh. uh, any of these, but apparently there's like nothing kind of true to um, <laughs> that particular thing. I think it's just a, a bank thing that they've decided to apply to the NASCAR system, which I mean, I guess makes sense. I buy it, but I don't know. I guess the brothers put the cockroaches that Melly painted in different tubes and to find out which tube got sent to the vault with the cake in it. They look at which ones were painted that color. Anyway, that's just like to figure out which tube leads to which vault. It's just the the minorest piece that I got hung up on just now. Um, They figure out which tube goes to the vault. It's great. But they need to figure out how to break into the vault, which is where we need Joe Bang, Daniel Craig. And so he's in prison. And they say, we're going to do just a little, a quick old prison break. We're going to get Clyde to go in jail. He's going to get arrested. And then we'll break out both of you. And then we'll get you back both in by the end of the day after we've stolen all the money. Which in and of itself is a ridiculous thing to do. And then add it to the fact that there's this heist. Right. This isn't even the big heist. We're just going to just quick, quick pop a quick prison break. (laughs) But I love too that, I mean, obviously this plays into far later on in the film with Hilary Swank, but they've created these airtight alibis for themselves where, Mm -hmm. you know, by doing it this way, they are making sure that this really can't be traced back to them in any way, shape or form. And there's just such a fun, like it, it's so <laughs> wild. That I know our these minds are melting. <laughs> outlandish concepts. And they just manage to kind of know exactly what they need to do to kind of bring it all together. And mm-hmm. we don't really see a lot of like the, you know, here, we're going to pull down a blueprint and like all this stuff. And like, <laughs> no. but, but we are really intimately involved in the planning process of this. Like we are steeped in it steeped yes i think maybe it's because we are so steeped in these earlier plannings like these little things that have to happen to make the big heist happen is why you don't see the turn coming Mm -hmm. because you expect that you've been seeing the plan the whole time and i think again the stereotypes of who these players are really also kind of plays into this too because they kind of seem like bumbling idiots well some of them are and some of them are are. (laughs) Uh, but again that's part of the plan here like it's just Mm -hmm. let people assume what they want about us and there's a really elevated art to this whole thing in just perceptions and stereotypes that i think is wild because you as a viewer play into those things too and don't see these twists coming until they're actually coming you know we get through the entirety of the heist and you think oh it's over well right I thought oh here we are another heist movie where they don't 
get what they want. I was frustrated because I was really rooting for them. And so Melly has that, that was, scene too, where she's yeah. just like, oh, who just like lets the money go? And they're like, yes, they got cold feet. And like, I was just so baffled. Like, why? I don't get it. What am I missing? Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. There's still so much Sorry. ice left. I know. So, okay. <laughs> Clyde and Joe Bang get themselves sent to the infirmary and a bunch of other inmates uh, throw a riot. So there's a lockdown. And so every other part of the. With impossible uh, demands. Yes. Of the prison is locked down. They managed to escape. I'm not even going to get into how it's crazy. So the warden at the prison is possibly the, we have smart cop, dumb cop. I think he's the dumbest. He's so terrible and just. Mm -hmm. Well, he wants to, he's greedy, right? Where he wants yeah. to have, you know, I'm sure there's salary. And like, if you don't have mm -hmm. X number of things, you get a bonus or whatever. Right. I'm sure plays into it. But it's like one of those unspoken things where he doesn't want to be perceived as somebody who can't run this prison. He doesn't want right. anybody to know that there's this riot happening. They can handle it. It's really not that bad. and knowing these small things about, again, like the people around them. And we don't see that reconnaissance, but clearly, you know, they've been in prison. They know yes. what this guy is like. And that information is clearly fed into this plan because this guy just doesn't care. He cares, but he cares about himself. And like, yes, what this is going to kind of play out as. And again, just like these genius things where it's just not about this or that, or like what explosives you use, but like what kind of person you're dealing with and mm -hmm. what you can get away with based on who they are. Exactly. So basically the prisoners take some guards hostage in the cafeteria, it's locked down and they keep peppering the warden during the entire time that the heist is happening with like lists of demands for him to try and complete to make <laughs> sure that Joe and Clyde have enough time to get out and come back. I think that Joe has definitely offered some money to one right. of these prisoners who's basically running the riot for him. Right. Or a favor or something. He's yes. clearly enticed him in this manner. And oh my God, the George R.R. R. Martin Games of Thrones stuff is so perfect. Because, like, I just love that if you didn't have access to, like, news or, like, the world, like, of course you would think that these things would still exist. And this is, like, I feel like the one thing that'll age well over time because it'll be universally known that, like, there were 30 years between this book that George R.R. R. Martin wrote and, like, this other well, who one. Who knows when he's going to finish it? Exactly. Uh, and even if it does come out eventually, it'll never not be a, a thing. huge gap. Yeah. Right. And uh, it's just such a fun way to kind of convey like a passage of time, be like, mm -hmm. this is ridiculous. Uh, oh, it's so good, though. And they're just like, but that other guy in the prison totally knows what goes on with that dragon lady. And like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm keep derailing it for like all these like small bits, but there's just like so many charming moments in this movie mm -hmm. to me that stood out and were just like delightful. And yeah, I can't not revel in them a little bit, you know? <laughs>
that's the but way it goes. They, so they've got they, this guy. Yep. <laughs> yep. They make their way from the prison to the speedway. They meet up with uh, the team, I suppose, or not. I'm, I'm, I'm a little, I know that they go then and get the ingredients that Joe Bang needs to break mm-hmm. into the safe. Right. But I don't feel like they really focus on that a lot. Like the the elements that the movie does focus on keep this heist moving forward. This is like the center of the movie and everything kind of revolves around it. So we don't have a lot of like detours into Mm -hmm. this or that or whatever. (laughs) Unlike me trying to talk about this movie, Uh, (laughs) but like. Oh, There's right. Just, this this is the perfect time. Daniel Craig gets out of prison and he's like, I want a hot dog. I want this. And he's and they're like, no, we have a we have a heist to do. We have time. We're on a time limit. He's like, eh, <laughs> he's dragging his feet. He's so excited to be out. Yeah. And he's so close to release, too. Right. Because like he's mm-hmm. getting let out of prison in like weeks. And so it's also just in his interest to keep this thing going and to not right. get caught because otherwise you're back into incarceration all over again. And just, I could imagine though, you know, having all of those things, you know, people talk about that desert Island thing. Like what would you desperately want if like you right. only had this thing and after being denied for so long and then have it around you and then not be able to do it. Like, I feel like that would actually be torture, mm-hmm. but so good right so the plan there is that he's gonna blow the safe and they're gonna use the tubes no they use like a vacuum right to suck all the money out yeah like a high powered (laughs) bracket so they obviously like the explosives he uses the pneumatic things and gummy bears he uses gummy bears he uses gummy bears he uses like a an array of chemicals that at a certain point when they all mix will cause an explosion. And it is definitely the most unique explosive device I have seen in a movie for sure. Which backfires initially. And, Mm -hmm. and he literally comes right back out of like the pneumatic tubes and yes, and shoots back at them and they have to send it back in again. And of course we don't know much about Joe bang other than he's good at explosives and he comes in with all of this talk about his fake salt and gummy bears. <laughs> and he like basically turns this room that they're going to blow up into a classroom and starts scrawling on the wall in chalk. Like this is all the chemistry and why it will all work. And just kind of blows your mind with the stereotype thing again, that this guy knows his chemicals so right. well that he can teach a lesson on it while they're waiting it to explode basically right and then they have that high powered vacuum to get all the money going to them and it's like not elegant like there's not anything that's like you know oh we've got these state-of-the-art tools (laughs) or this they are these kind of like just no-name people who are bumbling air quotes through life Mm -hmm. and are using what they have at their disposal to complete these things. And I think this is just, again, another really interesting component to the movie where it's like 
stuff that any of these, anyone could have, or not that they could have, but they know that there's this construction stuff. They know right. they have access. what's around and they make use of all the things that they can get their hands on. And mm-hmm. yeah, this, or literally get his hand on when he gets his <laughs> fake arm sucked yes. into the vacuum. Yes. So Clyde, they're, they're sucking up the money. They're putting it into trash bags. So you can kind of see the plan is to like sneak the money out in the garbage and his prosthetic arm gets sucked up into it. And he's like, Oh no, I'm toast. Because if they find my arm up in the, the vault, like I'm, I'm made, they know me. I'm the guy with the one arm. Right. But Channing Tatum reassures him that it's all going to be fine. And they press on. Right, right, right. And then I guess the guards start closing in on them. I guess they sm- either smell the explosion, the fire. They uh, so what had happened was the smoke was coming through the pneumatic tubes up into mm-hmm. one of the restaurants, and so they're like, "We're seeing smoke," and they're like, "No fires being reported anywhere else." So they're like, "Somebody who's like, well, if there's smoke, there's fire. So let's right. send someone." And so they send. Again, some bumbling guards who are clearly <laughs> not being paid enough to care about things. And they just kind of make sure that things aren't actually, you know, on fire and minimally just kind of check things out. So there's technically like they call it in, but mm-hmm. not in like a big way. They don't call the fire department, they call those two guys to go investigate. Right. Well, speaking of the fire department, the the rioters have basically started a small fire that they right. don't know is a small fire in the prison. And the warden finally relents and agrees to call the fire department in. And that is how Adam Driver and Joe Bang sneak back into okay. the prison with the firemen. <laughs> So good. And like, I just love that they know what this warden will and will not give in on. Mm -hmm. And they just play everybody around them so perfectly. And it's beautiful. And by (laughs) far, my favorite part of this whole movie, though, is the reveal and how this Mm -hmm. all kind of comes together. Because again, we get everybody back into the prison. They escape with this money, but then they don't, they don't escape. With right. This money. So you find out, you see Jimmy Logan go to his daughter's, uh, I was going to say recital, uh, but it's not pageant, a recital. The pageant. A pageant, right. Goes to the pageant. She sings the song. The crowd sings the song. She does really well, but you realize that he has left the money in a truck on the, in a gas station in the middle of nowhere. And so part of me is like, is this what he did? Like he chose, he thought he was going to get caught. So he chose his daughter over the money and he screwed everyone else over. Like, why did he do this? I and like, there's understand. no thing. Yeah. Cause like they don't get caught, you know, they all seemingly get away with it. And then they don't and you 
There's left news kind of reports just... finally saying that there was a robbery and nobody under nobody knows who did it, but they found they recovered the money. Yeah, uh, at a gas station on the side of the road. So what did they call it, it the hillbilly really, heist? They called it the Ocean Seven Eleven. <laughs> oh my god, I didn't realize. I only heard like, oh, so good, <laughs> which is pretty cute because he did Ocean Eleven. So, I guess the people at the speedway are willing to like close the book on it. They're like, we got the insurance money. We got the money back. Who cares who did it? But then and clearly get... they've gotten a bigger payout than what. Yes. So they're happy that they've actually been robbed. And that's like part of it too, where like Hillary Swank is like, mm, but you didn't right. know how much money you lost. So how did you get an accurate number back? And they're like, we're satisfied with the resolution. <laughs> exactly. But Hillary Swank is not satisfied and she no. wants to get to the bottom of this. She wants to know who the heck stole the money, even though she has no way of knowing if all of the money was actually recovered or not. Right. And while Hillary Swank never finds out, we thankfully do get to find <laughs> out and they tell us how it was all done. And again, I got to say, this is my favorite part of the film. And I'm learning, you know, I like the campy movies. I like the funny movies, but mm-hmm. I love the movies that have the fun reveals like Fast Five, this. Mm-hmm. And this one I feel is more satisfying because like there's elements in Fast Five where you're like, okay, well, if I poke holes in this, that really didn't work the way you're telling me. Right. But like, I'm just enjoying this. So like, fine. But I know we this- haven't talked about Lupin too much on the show because it's a TV right. show, but Lupin also has had big reveals where I'm like screaming and like, oh my God, I never saw it coming, but you did, right. you set it up, you know? <laughs> I know. And this had such a satisfying reveal and it all comes together and they didn't just give up the money. There was money. They obviously were going to have some sort of take in the end. They just you know, needed to like lay low for a while. And he followed his list that said, don't get greedy. And instead of taking all of the money, he sectioned off uh, a bit of the money for himself and his brother and his sister. And I, Joe Bang still gets his, it just doesn't end up being like this big, massive take. He plays it cool. And like, siphons off some of the money while the heist is going down in his own separate stash of trash bags that do in fact go to a dump. Yes. It's so good. And I do love that, you know, we do have that list and he explicitly says his rules and he really sticks by them. Again, Mm -hmm. speaking of a movie we watched before, which was like the vault where none of them stuck to their rules whatsoever. Not a once. Uh, Which I mean, arguably it wasn't a good movie at all, but still it was really satisfying to have this list laid out for us in a really subtle way. Like they're not really flashy about it. But to have it come back and kind of be what they live by for this job, because like, I don't think that any of them presented with that amount of money would have obviously been able to pass that up. Like who wants to give back any of that money, right? When you could have, why have this when you could have this, but he didn't give them the choice. 
No, he didn't. So basically everybody on the team, aside from, I assume his brother and maybe sister assumed that they were all screwed over by Jimmy he got cold feet. They don't know what happened. They all go about their merry way. Joe gets released from prison, goes back to his home. It's, I don't know. Did they say how much time has passed where everybody's just thinking, I don't have any money. This was a, a worthless heist. Yes, they do. Actually, they do explain this. And I didn't write down the exact phrasing of it, but he reveals how long it's been uh, when he talks about his phone bill. So uh, oh, right. Jimmy phone is, bill, which also comes into it too, which is wild. I, so, this is so crazy. This movie is just, you got to watch it. <laughs> so at the beginning of the movie, it's this whole thing where Jimmy never has his phone on because he doesn't pay his bills. So his daughter, Sadie is like, dad, mom, like said, even if I could get you to take money for your cell phone, you wouldn't like, you know, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And it's like this whole thing. He misses one of Sadie's rehearsals and uh, she's like, well, I would have called you, but your phone was off. And, you know, he's like, well, I didn't pay the bill. And you just think that it's part of him being poor. He doesn't have his job. He doesn't care. He says explicitly to his daughter, he only wants his cell phone so he can take photos of her and videos. And she hams it up, does the gun show. Right. uh, You know, it's a really sweet moment. You're like, oh, he's not into that. That's cool. I want to live off the grid. But it all comes back around. And towards the end of the movie, uh, he talks about how after X amount of time, normally, if you don't pay your bill, they shut off your phone and it doesn't work anymore and blah, blah, blah. And it's normally. immediately, Yes. And normally it's this specific amount of time. I think it's something like six months. I don't know. I think I'm overdoing it, but I didn't write down the times. It's okay. Uh, But because the police and he knows the police are watching him, he knows that for as long as his phone stays on past this point, they're Mm -hmm. tapping his phone. So somebody's paying his phone bill basically to To make sure that they can keep tabs on him. Mm -hmm. And his phone goes dead finally after six weeks or whatever. And that's when he knows that the police are no longer looking for him because they've taken the tap off his phone and they've let his phone go into dead. No service. Exactly. And so smart. So smart. It's so good. And all of these like subtle things that are going on throughout the movie from the very beginning. Beginning. Yes. That feed into, again, the stereotypes and all of these other things that you perceive about these characters. And they're all like part of this. It's such a good reveal. It's such a good ending. It all comes together. Every single thing plays a part for the most part here. Like mm-hmm. really. So satisfying. after his phone turns off, they all meet up at the duct tape bar again for the first right. time. And who knows how long to sort of be like, well, I think we did it. I think we got away with it, folks. And unfortunately, because of the Logan curse, when everything is going the best is when everything falls apart. And in the last like minute of the movie, 
we see this woman at the bar talking to Clyde and she's sort of like flirting with him a little bit. And it's a cute moment. And then we see that it's the, it's right. What's her name? Why is Hillary it? Swank? It's Hillary yeah. Swank. And she's like sitting there watching them all just yuck it up. And then the movie is over and my heart breaks. <laughs> I know, but I don't think she's there in any official capacity. Like part of me wants, I think she's that cop with, you know, just like, what did they call in the the heist TV show, a pit bull? And he's like, he can't let mm-hmm. go of it or whatever. Yeah. And I agree. This is like the job, but I just, uh, you know, she can't prove any of this. Everybody has airtight alibis. And I think like she wants to know, but. I think it's such a good ending for the film, right? Like to kind of leave it with this intrigue where, yeah, we do have this curse. We do have all of these other, you know, things, the curse in air quotes again in play. And it's like, is this all going to come crashing down on them? They're not being ridiculous with the money. They're all being really smart about it, but they're also hanging out with each other, you know, which is one of those things that you're not supposed to do, but I I choose to believe in my mind that (laughs) they get away with it. They, you know, thwart it. And she's just there because she needs to know how it was all done. But I hope so. I hope so. But (laughs) there is a small part of me that is like, oh, she's out there to get them. Right. But (laughs) Oh, so good. That's what makes it great. I loved it. I thought it was wonderful. I had such a fun time. Yeah, it's not quite wrapped up with a bow. It's like a bow, but like it's a lopsided bow. Like it's like, you know, like well, is it's it not gonna like come top undone? copy where they're like, we're in jail now. Right. <laughs> it, again, had the things I love the most where it, there's the reveal, they get away with it as far as we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just did a really good job kind of keeping us going, keeping you on the edge of your seat. And just being fun. It's not too serious. It's not too slow. It's perfectly paced. The characters are so well done. And you just go on this great journey. And you don't really care about anything else going on around you. You just... It's like a perfect popcorn movie. Yeah. Agreed. And like, kind of like speaking of our trope movies, we've been talking about this movie for ages now already, but... You know, there's realistically, there's only a few of our tropes that this really kind of technically covers, you know, mm-hmm. the the planning, the characters, our reveal, um, everything going wrong is part of the plan. That's um, true. Yeah. But this somehow, even though it doesn't have everything that we kind of go through, still feels like maybe the strongest heist movie we've watched. Yeah, I never expect any of the movies we watch to hit every single trope on our list. It's just fun to see which ones it takes, if any. Right, Yeah. It's, again, yeah, not a comprehensive list. It's like the things that we're seeing over again. Yeah. Or the things that we enjoy or some people who submitted some tropes that they enjoy. Right. Um, I do have some fun facts for this. <gasps> uh, so this was the first movie directed by Steven Soderbergh since announcing his retirement from film. I didn't even know he announced his retirement. Nor did I. <laughs> um, it's like Jay-Z. <laughs> right. Um, the list on Jimmy Logan's 
film is also the list from the movie How to Rob a Bank and 10 Tips to actually get away with it so i hope that one is on our list oh so it's a nod to another movie there's a few of those in here um the actress who plays melly is elvis presley's granddaughter oh interesting her mother is lisa marie presley the daughter of elvis and priscilla presley huh i didn't know that i've seen her in a few things and i didn't know that Mm -hmm. until now i think she's in magic mike also yeah, maybe. I think she's also in an episode of Riverdale, if I'm not mistaken, which is like weird. <laughs> I have not watched that show very carefully. Yeah, don't. I don't recommend it. <laughs> there is a tattoo on Fish's arm that has the word dangerous, but it is spelled D-A-N-G-E-R-U-S. <laughs> Classic. Um Using cockroaches to find vault access and then vacuuming out the loot were plot devices used in the movie Eleven Harrow House. And I wonder if that one is on our list. It is on our list. It's because I am like neurotic about how I like alphabetize everything. It's the first one from 1974. So the poster of that movie has like a giant cockroach on it. So I guess it's a real Uh big part of the plot there. He's doing a lot of nods to the movies in this um okay so my big thing about this movie that i was saying like oh they they have been kind of sneaky with the way they went about certain things in this movie like daniel introducing daniel craig um so there's been a lot of media speculation regarding the identity of who wrote this movie oh my god yes (laughs) yeah the film screenwriter is named rebecca blunt and the film's production notes say that she is a native of Logan, West Virginia, who now lives in New York City, and that she's a first-time screenwriter. But nobody other than Soderbergh and Adam Driver has personally vouched for her existence. Like, no one knows who this woman is. No one has spoken to her. No one has seen another movie by her. No one represents her. She doesn't have an agent. She's just, this was her first movie. <laughs> yeah, and they they're saying because I, I I discovered I, this I have only more. yes because <laughs> uh, I was looking up the pneumatic tubes while we were talking to see if I could find mm-hmm. anything on it and this came up so I'll let you continue with your <laughs> trivia but yeah it I is, was like what yeah it's uh believed to be a pseudonym for Soderbergh's wife Jules Asner And it's rumored that she chose a pseudonym to write the movie because she didn't want the perception of the film to be that Soderbergh was directing his wife's script. And he he denied the claim that Rebecca Blunt is not a real person. So these people are entrenched in this lie. Although if you look on Wikipedia, Jules Asner, his wife, is credited with having written it with Rebecca Blunt in parentheses. So... I don't know. Uh, According to the Writers Guild of America's website, a writer must use their own name in all writing credits unless they have already established a pseudonym or registered one at the guild office before commencement of employment on a writing assignment. And I guess some reporters wrote to the WGA to find out about Rebecca Blunt and they declined to comment. Interesting. I guess when you have power, 
the rules don't right? apply. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a big mystery about who uh, wrote this movie. Some people think Soderbergh wrote it himself. I like to think that it was wife, girl power. I don't yeah. know. I think it's cool. I like that too. It does definitely have a lot of elements from like his other work, which, mm-hmm. you know, makes it, makes me think it's definitely someone who was like really close to him. And I can imagine him and his wife maybe tackling this together. Together, Yeah. Yeah. Cause like clearly it's somebody who knows him, knows a lot of like the things that kind of like tick his boxes and like, yeah, I think. I, I just thought sense. that was so funny. Like, look, cause I went to look it up. I'm like, Oh, who wrote it? Cause this is so good. And then it was all this controversy over the mystery of who wrote this movie. Um, and also leading into our next episode, smuggling loot out as garbage was also a plot device used in the original Ocean's Eleven. I am so excited for those too. Like it's going to be so much fun. I'm, I know we keep saying this. I'm excited for all of our episodes because I just mm-hmm. love watching these movies. I love talking about them and just finding out all these like incredible things. And especially when we watch newer movies and then we're like watching stuff like Top Copy and it's like, oh, right. oh this, this is where. Is this where yeah, yeah. It's so much fun. And I'm, I'm so excited to compare these two classics because like you know people are like oh the original oh the remake oh like (laughs) it'll be nice to do them head to head and it's for we're doing it because there's a big oceans anniversary right yeah so coming up is the 20th anniversary of the remake oh my goodness yeah it's been a while and we're gonna revisit it for the anniversary and uh see how it holds up as well again as the original so that's coming up and we're also as mentioned gonna Mm -hmm. do um in the second half of december we're gonna do some listener questions and talk about this journey into doing this podcast uh and uh do kind of a little bit of a listicle episode of yeah Yeah. our favorites so far and uh i'm interested to see how my list compares to yours especially we seem to have very similar tastes in all of these movies so (laughs) true we've been we've been lucky with that um so if you have watched any of the movies after listening to one of our episodes or before and want to have your opinion on our big roundup episode please write into us yes and we have at this time, we can't say anything further, but we have some exciting news coming up. Uh, we that do. We have big news and we're big news. dying to tell you about it. We've been sitting on this for so long and uh, <laughs> we're going to be releasing a mini-sode uh, based on mm-hmm. when we are able to properly talk about this and you will find out some fun information very soon. So you can look forward to that. It'll probably drop... Uh, before our next uh, Oceans episode. so Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I'm saying probably, but uh, we are beholden to others and... Yes, it's out of our hands, but we can't wait to tell you, get ready, exciting project in the works. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you will also probably be able to see a lot about that if you follow us online. So mm-hmm. you, if you want to follow Capercast on Twitter or Instagram, Instagram, uh, Capercast pod is us to say hello or send in questions, comments, or suggestions. And again, to see any of our exciting news, like if we drop a mini-so just randomly mm-hmm. one day with some exciting information in it. Um, 
or you can send us an email to podcast at capercast.com or you can leave us a voice message. We really want you to leave us a voice message. Tell us. I just think it would be so cool. Right. Uh, You can visit capercast.com to do that. There's a fun little option there. Or you can follow us online individually. I'm at Hello Cookie Whitney. Where can people find you? I'm at Hey Whitney on Twitter or HeyWhitney.com for all the other information you might need. All of that and more. Uh, (laughs) So be sure to share our show, subscribe, review, hopefully a nice one on your platform of choice because it helps boost us in the algorithm. And we would love to talk about these movies with other people because like we've talked about many times, it's more fun when we get you all joining in with us on these shows. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Uh, Again, next time we'll be talking about Ocean's Eleven, both of them. And until then, we have been your hosts. I have been Stephanie. I'm Whitney. And this has been the Capercast. Thank you for letting us steal a bit of your time and for tuning in. And until next time, don't get caught. The Capercast is hosted by Stephanie Cook and Whitney Gardner. Our theme music is by the very talented Emily Milling.